0: to the show where our guests share the monsters and myths that manifest as barriers and obstacles on the path to progress. And hopefully they can also share a bit of the magic and insights necessary to conquer them and overcome them. Today's guests are the dynamic duo Rosie and Ferris Jacob, who founded the nomadic creative consultancy known as Genius Steals. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Rosie and Farris. Do you want to just tell the audience a little bit about your, your, yourselves and even how what your life was like pre-pandemic because you've been living nomadically for over six years now. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, so tell, tell us a little bit about provide some context there.
1: Absolutely, and thank you so much for having us, Andrea. We're so excited to be here um, with you. So yes, I'm the rosy part of the duo. That's Ferris, and as you mentioned, we founded this Nomadic Creative Consultancy. Prior to that, our lives were spent in the world of advertising, media, and marketing. Um, My career was mostly in New York before our nomad life.
2: Um, I worked a bit in London, a bit in Sydney, a bit in New York, set up an agency, sold it, (laughs) That kind of thing.
1: And so Ferris proposed to me in um, March of 2013. And part of his proposal was the whole becoming husband and wife thing. And part of the proposal was, let's quit our jobs. Let's travel the world. He was going to write a book. He did write a book. I was going to. He was going to. When he did, I had
2: been going to write a book for about he, a decade. And he did.
0: Had, I've got it on my bookshelf, actually. No it's I bloody fantastic. For <laughs> those of you fine. who don't know, go out and look for Paid Attention by Ferris Yackel.
2: Second edition coming Still. out this year, later, this year, later I, this
0: year. You've got another
2: one coming out. Well, no, the second edition. I'm too lazy for the having to write a whole second book. It's been, <laughs> it's been a pandemic, Andrew. Come on, give me a break. I'm just, <laughs> Come on now. Um, but the second edition of that book, updating some of the the thinking, because uh, it's become more salient since then.
0: Uh, oh, the it's very much so. I was actually flicking through it the other day, nothing to do with this show, and and looking and going, yeah, it's all just as relevant as when you're, so yeah, I'm going to have to get the second edition on pre-order ASAP.
1: Or at least buy, buy it
0: as gifts for friends, family, <laughs> maybe, maybe a nephew or niece.
1: Yeah. So that was back in twenty thirteen now. And once we hit the road and started traveling, um, we realized a couple of things. The first thing we realized was that we're not so great at making decisions when it comes to where to live.
2: I was just a bad creative director to so, <laughs> so maybe the decision right.
1: making is yeah. a tough yeah. um nut to swallow not nut to swallow, nut to crack. Oh no, this is going very well, guys. It's quite and, early. <laughs> and um, but we spend our time helping businesses solve solve their challenges using creativity. I would say the dark arts of creativity, but we're trying to bring some light to it and show right. that um, maybe it's not so dark so in that side of things.
2: People often ask, you know, what's a nomadic creative consultancy? And we can answer that by saying we don't live anywhere. And so we travel around from client to client doing kind of inspiration and performative thinking and consultative thinking um, for clients in different places, mostly around the application of creativity towards commercial endeavor so historically yes advertising and marketing but in other areas of business where creativity may be valuable we try and dip our toe um we work a lot with agencies of different flavors and sizes a lot with uh marketers that use agencies um and a lot of events and media companies that also talk to agencies um (laughs) and, and yeah before last march our life consisted of about nine months of the year being on the road, flying from gig to gig, sort of working remotely in between. Obviously, there was some strategic headwinds <laughs> for a nomadic public speaking-based business last year.
1: However, we still find found time to be nomadic because when you don't have a home, you continue to be a nomad unless you find a home yes or decide something stop. will be a base
2: that's a good point It doesn't suddenly <laughs> stop you, don't, you, don't, you don't, no one gives you a home when pandemics appear you just go oh i don't oh so last yeah, year a lot of, sort of
1: people
2: homeless but yeah. home free we well, prefer home free we're, home free. I, we're I voluntarily homeless so it's home free um, home can
0: be anywhere though for you wherever, yeah. I'm, wherever i'm
2: with you except we can't stay there in that metaphor as lovely as the metaphor is i can't use it to shelter from the cold and and so on Uh, yeah
1: so 2020 looked a little bit differently for us instead of on stage at big events or working directly with marketing leaders and their teams and workshops and training we did a lot of stuff from behind or through Zoom, and that could be everything from helping brands with naming conventions to strategic frameworks to that creativity ideation sort of training. Yeah,
2: the work definitely picked up towards the end of last year, where people had sort of moved, people had kind of got used to the fact that in-person stuff wasn't going to happen, Yeah, and that some budgets needed to be allocated before the end of the year. <laughs> it's true, though. That's honestly what happens. I mean, that it, you work in corporate worlds, right? That is how it works, but okay.
0: It is completely, and and what people might have gathered from the kind of stuff that you do is that you've probably got reputation as being troublemakers.
1: Um, oh, absolutely!
0: Exactly, we yeah.
1: provocateurs.
2: We prefer provocateurs.
0: My my prefer... tribe, right. troublemakers. I prefer
2: provocateurs.
0: And and so when you go into places. Mm -hmm. it's probably not always easy. You might get invited in by people who want to embrace the disruption Mm -hmm. and the creativity and the thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you get in there, it might be a whole lot of of different problems that you encounter. And hopefully that's what we're going to share because I'm sure that you've seen your fair share of monsters and myths. You guys have worked across the world. I mean, if anybody goes to the geniussteals.co website and sees your map of where you've actually, you've traveled the world basically causing trouble, leaving destruction, sorry, I mean, creativity in your path. And um, I I know quite a few of your case studies of the stuff that you've done. That's amazingly creative. And a lot of the time I look at that and go, how the hell did they manage to do that? That could not have been easy. Not from the creativity side, but knowing how difficult it is to get particularly large companies to mm. think and be more creative and more innovative in the stuff that they do. So you've got some monsters and myths to share with us.
1: Yeah, should I start off with a monster? Yeah, please feel
0: free because I don't have any yet, so you should go. <laughs> okay,
1: so my monster that I want to talk about is the inner critic. So I think that this is one of the most harmful monsters in not just marketing, but in a lot of our um, world in part because of social media and being exposed to a much bigger swath of the world than we're typically used to. Um, I have dealt with this inner critic myself and I'm constantly trying to dethrone her. I think that in part one of the things that I struggle with is that we often work with as you reference these big organizations with gigantic budgets and so when we say um, the sky is the limit it's like well the sky isn't even the limit really it's the moon and you've got this really high sometimes design high production quality and you've seen the best of the best in action but it just gives you that much more of a standard to hold yourself against and sometimes when we're working The two of us, we have passion pursuits and passion projects, and we don't have the big budgets of a Coca-Cola behind us. You know, we're not able to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars investing in our passion project just yet, maybe someday. Um, And so I think for me, one of the, the biggest monsters is that the inner critic that does the comparison and the inner critic that sets up these... Um, ways to judge yourself in a way that perhaps isn't kind and and it probably is not the way that anyone else would judge you either.
0: So what have you been doing to overcome, you said you're trying to dethrone her? Um, yeah. I love that as a, a as a thought. So what have you been trying to do? How, what advice would you give people to actively try and conquer that inner critic? Because I do think it holds a lot of people back and maybe constrains thinking a lot of the time going, you know, like, I'm not worthy. I mean, I I know you both are public speakers. And, and one of the biggest things that most public speakers face, and I regularly do it is imposter syndrome, where Mm -hmm. I'm about to go in front of an audience of 2000 people. And I think, shit, they probably know all this crap already. They're going to think, what an asshole! what's he doing on stage, you know, and you get this constantly and that's, that's the inner critic, you know, that, that's how it manifests for me is imposter syndrome um, yep. and I should imagine in your world. So how do you get over that? Because it's not an yeah. easy one to kill.
1: And, and I think it is, you've nailed it in some parts, which is that constant practice. It's not something that you do and it's done. It's an active engagement day to day, week to week. So a couple of things that come to mind, One easiest way to do it is talk to yourself inside your head the way that you would a best friend. If your best friend was late on a project, you wouldn't say like, oh my gosh, you're so late. I can't believe you missed this deadline. You would probably be a little bit more kind and compassionate. Oh, what happened? What came up? Can I help you in any way? Is there a way that we can work together to take a little bit off your plate so that you can meet the deadline? Or you know what that deadline? was just an initial draft anyway. Let's, let's move it back by three days. No harm, no foul. Um, so talking to yourself in a way that you would a best friend, compassionately, kind, caring, I think that's really important. I think the other part of it is um, identifying when that voice happens and being able to just acknowledge and say like, okay, is that me who I am talking? Or is that just that little snake that's weaseled its way inside of my brain, and am I able to at least identify that snake so I can say, okay, no, 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 that's not me, that's creeping in, let's try to push it back down, which of course is that practice of mindfulness and meditation and choosing to direct your attention towards something um, that brings you positive energy rather than something that is more critical.
0: I'd, I'd definitely say the identifying it, recognizing it, and go, I've seen you before, get back in your box. Um, And until you recognize that that's what it is, that nagging fear the whole time, Hmm. it does become, yeah, it it, it can occasionally feel overwhelming um, until you do that. So I think that's... And
2: and you think it's you. I think, wasn't some advice that you told me, Rosie, about how you're supposed to name it? By naming it, you sort of uh, other it. Mm -hmm. you you recognize the fact that it's not you it's something else so I think that's a really interesting kind of
1: so pick that call the name of the colleague that you disliked from years and years ago or whoever you don't you know you have those positive feelings towards you could name that inner critic in your head and um yeah I went to this women's retreat called Camp Powerment and I absolutely loved it and this was one of the classes it was really cool because the retreat was all about personal development rather than, rather than professional development. I think so often what we do when we go to conferences and events is focus on the professional side of things, the networking, the growing in that capacity. But the truth is we can grow professionally by growing personally. And so constantly investing back into ourselves is really the foundation for um, you know, success. And I think to add to that, you don't just have inner critics, you've got inner cheerleaders too. So figuring out when you hear those positive voices, where are those coming from? How did I cultivate that? Did it happen after I had a great conversation with a girlfriend? Okay, maybe I should do more of that. Was it happening when I went for that long walk by myself and took some time and space away from my to-do list? Okay, that's when the cheerleader comes out. Let's try and figure out how to do more of that. So finding the, counter, the counterweight can be those cheerleaders on your team who can help balance out that inner critic. And another way to think about that, I save a ton of emails that are nice when someone sends me a compliment, when someone says something, wow, you know, we couldn't have done this project without you. And I just tag those emails happy and they live in my happy folder. And when I have that inner critic that's really coming up and I'm not able to dethrone her, I have this whole reference folder of just nice things that people have said to me to remind me, you know what, maybe I'm not as shit as I'm thinking right now.
0: I'm, I'm gonna to have to wait for my first ever happy email to come. Sorry, no. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. What, what, what's like, once we get one, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it in the folder. Yeah, that, that, that is a brilliant, brilliant monster, and and great insights on how to how to overcome it. It it's what's fascinating about the series that I'm doing is is speaking to people from different industries and across different things the different monsters and myths that are coming out each time there's 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 some that are the same and that are common across all industries um Mm -hmm. but it's brilliant to come up with one that's like hey of course i recognize and identify that and nobody said it before um so that was great what more you got for me
2: Okay, yeah. should I go? Yeah, is that, go for it. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll go. Since you did, a, you did a monster, right? Yeah. Okay, I'll do a myth. I thought then. you might do a myth.
1: That's kind okay. of why I started with that. And monster. I guess,
2: I think you inspired me, as you always do, um, in your, your sort of talking about comparison as, as a sort of source of criticism. Mm. You know, comparison is the thief of joy, as they say. Mm. And um, in personal development, as well as professional. Mm. Okay, so I thought, because you said there were some common... Uh, myths and monsters that were emerging in your in your program. So let's try and be more original than that. Uh, and uh, um, I, I will pick originality <laughs> as, as my myth. I think originality is a myth. In fact, it is the foundational thesis for Genius steals. That's why it's called Genius steals, because originality cannot exist as far as I understand it. Um, now, now what I mean by that? Um, well, okay, so Often, when coming up with ideas for a living, be that artistically, commercially, or, or just because you've got to get things done. Um, actually, maybe not the last part, ignore that. Um, people will be like, is it, sound, is it original though? Is it original? So there's a couple of things to, to sort of think about there. One which is, it's not. That's a good thing to think about. It's not, right? It just isn't. And, and there's a, a, we know that's true. Um, for, for example, you ask the question using words. Words are not original, you didn't invent words. Um, In order for the question to make sense, you deployed semantic schema, narrative construct, metaphor, symbolism, context, and so on, none of which you invented. So there's nothing original about anything anyone's ever said, just by definition. Um, That's a sort of foundational intellectual level. Equally, it's worth recognizing that what's new to you is very unlikely to be new just because it's new to you. Um, Psychologically novel and historically novel are very different things and the fact that you've just encountered something and you've never seen it before in no way suggests in a very black swan kind of way that it's in somehow new to the world. Mm. Um, Further, when when you come up with ideas, if you do it for a living for any kind of period of time, you realize that ideas are made of other ideas. Ideas are new combinations, to quote um, Andrew Webb Young. Um, Nothing comes from nothing, to quote Shakespeare, one cannot invent without inventory or inventory to go out an American,
1: <laughs> uh,
2: because things are made of other things, that's just sort of how it works, right, so managing that is useful in some ways, because it sort of slightly reminds us, it dethrones our, uh, centrality to, to the universe, which reminds us, because we happen to have not seen it before, probably isn't new, which is important, that said, it also is a good, uh, unshackling of the mind for creative people in different forms of business because if you're constantly trying to find an idea that's never been done before you aren't solving the problem you (laughs) aren't solving the brief that's the job solve the problem right and usually a good way of solving problems is to look at things that have worked well before and do things like them if it will probably work for you but because there is a sense that psychological novelty and freshness is something that is well responded to in culture, both in terms of product design and in creative marketing, there's a sense that if you directly copy something too obviously, it'll be boring. And then- The same And, as then, and then cooled out. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And if it rhymes, it chimes, right?
1: <laughs> Good one, babe. Things,
2: well, it, it, yeah. So, uh, originality is a myth. It doesn't exist. It can't exist. And it's Easier for you to not worry about it and just focus on solving the problem uh, than kind of handcuffing yourself with. But someone already sent a thing into space. I'm like, yeah, but you're not going to do it anyway.
0: And I actually, um, you've written about this kind of a concept many times before. It's about yeah. Just to add. Um, and, and, and I actually take a, a lot from uh, the, the stuff that you've written. You've, you've written something about remixing, um, yeah. mm-hmm. that, that everything's a remix of everything else. And, mm-hmm. and it really is, particularly in the world that I work the most in, innovation, where mm-hmm. people often conflate innovation with invention. They're not the same damn thing. And you don't need to invent something to be innovative. And uh, I I, uh, um, I have got a quote that I use from Tom Freston, one of the co-founders of MTV, um, who said, innovation is simply taking two things that already exist and putting them together in a new way. Great. We'll have that. I'll have one of those. That's a good one. Who is that? The guy from MTV? Tom Freston. Yeah. I'll send you that. it, it's and it's uh, um it's it's not necessarily putting them together in a new way to the world but it's new to your organization or industry and mm-hmm. and that absolutely and and uh, although not yet articulated um in terms of the myth of, of originality great one um that that type of a of a myth it definitely pervades across many of the organizations. They they always striving for the originality instead of thinking, well, actually, as you say, pick the best here and there. I always tell people, view it like Lego. You know, um, yeah. you just, you've got all of these building blocks around, just put them together in a new way. And, and yeah. you know, uh, you haven't, you, have you guys done workshops using Lego bricks? And that was somebody that was reading.
1: Done workshops using Lego bricks. Yeah, that's a great idea. But we, them, but we have used that metaphor too of like the building blocks of your mind and like you're seeking out inventory and you're exposing yourself to the best of yeah. what's out there and a, a wide varied set of sources so that your building blocks look a little bit different. Like you always wanted to be friends with the guy down the street because he has different Lego blocks than you do. Your yeah. neighbor next yep. door has a different Lego setup than you do so you're always kind of picking and choosing what works for me, but then transforming and adapting and building on that.
2: We were speaking, speaking of Legos, we were speaking at this conference back in the day when that was a thing that happened. Um, And he worked for Lego, the chap we met, very nice chap. And his job was to be the accredited or the accrediting trainer for Lego based workshop (laughs) methodologies. So Lego has its own Lego workshop
1: They believe in it, and they've
2: trained ten thousand people around the world on it, and it's an accredited course you can do through Lego now, which is just amazing as a product extension. You're like, why not? I mean, I want to
0: be that guy. I mean, where I where I thought that I'd read it on yours, but it must have been a a, another blog. It was a workshop where, um, the person had so you can picture the scene: lots of tables of people. You know, it's a creativity workshop, and and they put down buckets of bricks, and some of them have got a picture on how to assemble the bricks, you know, make it into a house. And mm. other ones are just buckets of bricks with no instruction. And they, they they give everybody the same instruction, make a house. Okay? And the ones that have got the picture always make a damn house like what we think of a house. Okay, and right, in right. some of the groups they'll say, make a house as if you are your five-year-old self. Yeah, and okay. suddenly you get these fantastical creations of houses on wheels with turrets and dragons spurting fire and everything like this, because what's a house? And it's this, this, this concept of, you know, the people, without having to strive for originality, they come up with completely d- different ideas ah, because yeah. of the way that yeah. it's framed. Whereas the other people who are, who are told, you know, um, the briefers build us a house if there's a suggestion there of what a house should look like they build exactly that
2: it's so that's such an interesting because so that's exactly the challenge right the, the challenge in general in in strategically briefing in a creative people to come up with solutions is that you need to tell them you want a house but not make them think of house that's the job right that is though it has to work like a house has to function like a house has to solve the same problems house solves but it can't be that but if you say that it also confuses so it's a very it's a tricky that's the the creative briefing in general that's the delicate balance
1: Well, because you're priming people with everything you say you're priming people and then we also have our own inherit inherited biases that we've inherited over the years that have grown with us expanded or contracted in various ways and they all look a little bit different and so we're all approaching it from an interesting way but with reference points and so we have a slide where we say like look you know if you think of kind of expanding boxes. In the middle box, we have the problem that we're trying to solve. And the ideas that come next are usually the boring ones because it's everyone's reinforced perspectives. When I think of house, I think of square and windows and roof and gutters and front door and sidewalk and plants in front or whatever it might be. And it's only when we expose ourselves to the weird, wacky, and wonderful and make the connections between what we're thinking of and something so, so, so far away so we get to interesting ideas, like one of our friends um, did a an exhibit where he actually had a fish being tracked by an Xbox Kinect camera, and instead of us destroying the fish's home, the fish was able to, from the tank, control a hammer, which knocked down like a Barbie-sized house yeah. so that the fish could destroy the human world. And so obviously that sort of idea is much more interesting than just how do, how do we think of house?
2: But it doesn't serve the, the, the house problem well.
1: But it doesn't solve yeah. the house problem You don't let well. to live
2: in it, unfortunately, unless you're a small fish.
1: <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the brief in the middle. Correct. It was just a disparate connection. Our art
2: has
0: its own brief. It's <laughs> a very wide <laughs> one. Yeah. Creative thinking was the brief, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um,
2: oh, I think I have one.
1: OK, are you yes. using a monster or a myth?
2: Yes, I'm doing that.
1: OK, great. Go.
2: I think I have a monster and a myth okay it's a myth it's it's a monster but it's also not real but people think it's real which is monstrous
1: okay great i I want to know
2: okay i think it is personalized advertising is both a myth because it cannot exist again like a lot of things i argue about it's semantically driven argumentation which is that you can't have that i will argue (laughs) and it's a monster because trying to make that has made the internet broken and led to a lot of um Unexpected second and third order effects, politically, sociologically, and otherwise.
1: Okay, so first, start with why you think it's a myth, because I already know okay. some of your thinking on this, and All I right. think that will help frame. So it can't, this well. it
2: can't exist, is my point of view. It can't. So it's, to to frame the conversation in a way that's less facetious to begin with, um, in advertising on the internet, the way you get. Ads is very different than the way you get ads in other places because they're served from a specific server to your specific computer in a sort of very rapid auction based model. Which is, by the way, because of that mechanism, because it comes directly to you and because they know who you are via IP and various other forms of targeting to do with your cookies.
1: Your cookies bring all the boys. The 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 information (laughs) about
2: you that's been aggregated by ad brokers online is quite extensive. They use that to uh, make the advertising targeted at you more valuable. And a way of talking about that is personalizing advertising. So what that means is literally is that when you see an ad digitally, you're never sure that anyone else has ever seen it. And it may not even exist for other people. It may at some point down the line be theoretically personalized in terms of your name, your address, the content. You may have seen it on Facebook that there'll be a t-shirt with your name on it.
1: Or no. your horoscope. Yeah, or... that kind
2: of thing is the sort of earliest iterations of this technology. But all ads are served the same way, just most of them don't call out the fact they are. They know who you are because it creeps you out. And, and whenever you see an ad folly around the internet, it's called retargeting. That's the same thing, right? So you go to a website, you don't want to buy a thing. That thing then stalks you forever until you give up and kill yourself or buy it. One of the
1: or time, you right? buy or you buy the thing from a different website entirely. And right. Macy's or whoever it is, Doesn't it's still saying, you got to buy these shoes. And you're like, I, I've done it. Zappos already took care of me. That whole thing. So <laughs> that, that whole thing
2: that exists and continues to exist, Um, isn't real, I'm arguing. Now, I know it seems like I describe things that really exist. I do understand that, but they're not advertising. That's my point, you see. Advertising does not work at an individual sales level. That's why marketing and selling are different inside organizations. Sales is not marketing. It's not the same thing. Marketing helps things, makes things saleable. It creates sellability, if you like. It very rarely directly sells anything. That's not how most marketing or advertising works, in my opinion, and it's not um but the conflation of those things is part of the problem to some degree so um when you get a bit of direct mail from verizon or capital one in your mailbox and it says dear andrew rosie or farris we've already pre-approved you for this offer for broadband or for credit cards, that's not advertising. We have a different word for that. It's called direct marketing. Yeah. Or it's, one, it's really door-to-door. One. It's door-to-door selling, right? What direct marketing is, is a form of door-to-door selling that's moved into a medium that's more stable, right? Advertising doesn't work that way at all in, in, in any way. It works through a number of socio-cultural stimulation effects, I think, which is to do up here in culture, brands and that kind of idea, right? So by conflating the two ideas, you get essentially the ads on instagram that try and sell you a picture of some toy with your face on it or whatever it is right <laughs> so um, i don't think they're ads um, i think they don't function like advertising they function like direct marketing or a door-to-door salesman which is different and i think they're dangerous because they are part of the dismantling of the commons um we we no longer have a kind of very stable commons culturally speaking and part of the problem with that is it's no longer easy to broadly agree among society what is true and what is false. Mm. This has caused a lot of challenges. I'm currently living in America. Um, The inability to distinguish between truth and falsity in tweets, for example, led to a swore coup earlier this week or possibly last week. Um, So that feels like a real world consequence of a myth that is monstrous.
0: So it's the myth, it's the perpetuation of the myth which has resulted in an absolutely tangible monster that is taking over our lives at the moment and in many ways. And yeah. I think, um, I, I'm sure you must have seen the, um, uh, what's it called? Not the, oh man, I keep on forgetting the name of it. Social Dilemma, Netflix. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and which which wasn't at all enlightening to me, but then this is how no, we, we work in this world. Exactly, yes. What was surprising to me was the number of my friends who were shocked at this? And 100 true. Yeah, we could. Are- how can you guys not know this shit? How yeah. do you not know that this is the way the modern world works online?
1: Yeah. And, you and- are in my mind exactly because that was what I said. Was my like I was like nothing in that documentary surprised me. What surprised me was how well-loved and well-received and surprising <laughs> it was to so many people and, who in our world who by the way are smart competent yes. capable individuals who just have nothing to do with advertising marketing and right. media and unfortunately didn't get the memo in the same way that it was reinforced to us over and over again
2: but it's an important corrective for us right because not only did it, a lot of people go they also went ferris and rosie an advertising i'll let them know about this and i'll be like oh super and i was like so, and they're like, have you seen this? Do you know this is going on? Like we, we used to, we do it. This is sort of what we do. I mean, not literally anymore, obviously, but you, I mean, this is what the industry does, right? But it also, it's an important corrective from us because to the point we discussed at the beginning, you never know, assuming knowledge is usually a bad idea. And with jobs nowadays, no matter what you do, doesn't matter what you do professionally speaking, it's gonna be so specialized and niche that nobody else who knows you well knows what you do. It's that simple. And it doesn't matter what you do anymore, any kind of science, engineering, professional service, anything you do, like spreadsheets, presentations, science, it'll involve those two things probably. (laughs) And what you do is going to be completely baffling to any other person, even that you probably work with, to be honest.
0: Yeah, 100% right there. And as for that, yeah, have you seen this? I got tired of saying to people, yeah, of course I've seen it. But, you know, And, and I would just go, so what did you think? And. The level of naivety was astonishing. And I'm used to people's largely being naive about a lot of the stuff that I do. But the level of naivety about something that I really thought was common knowledge. So that is that's a superb uh, myth that's manifests as a monster as well. And unfortunately, that's all we got time for. Because I would have carried on chatting to you guys for hours. And I'm sure that there would have been... There would have been no objection from, from...
1: Well, normally we do get to carry on for hours and it's in a pub and there's that in-person it, yeah. contact, like another day, another time.
0: I mean, we, I'm gonna have to have you back on again, maybe after the book has come out or maybe when you there guys... You are, uh, I think that'll be
2: September.
0: Pause okay. in between your global nomadic travels, if it ever starts up again, Uh, let's be positive on that (laughs) side yeah Yeah. why
2: not yeah it's likely to at some point i reckon
0: (laughs) but i'm gonna say cheers to you guys and leave the audience hanging and i will put in the show notes your social media handles and obviously hello at genius steals if anybody wants to get hold of you if they're only listening to the audio but it goes on on podcast show notes as well and thank you very much for a highly entertaining session and i hope everybody else enjoyed it too
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. We appreciate you. Cheers.